This is 3P Theory, the podcast for AEC professionals seeking to elevate their knowledge on green building strategies and practical design collaboration for sustainable mindsets, bringing you changemakers, innovators, and sustainable leaders who have positively impacted the industry. It's time to get inspired, motivated, and fired up to take action towards a greener planet. Here's your host, Mike Brown. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the 3P Theory podcast. I have some very special guests here joined with us today to talk about one of the emerging challenges as we start to navigate through the COVID-19 landscape from a design standpoint in buildings and understanding how the buildings and the way that they're designed and spaces and interiors impact human health and air quality and some of those outcomes In this digital age, it's very important that building owners and managers and developers are able to capture data, but not only capture data for data's sake, but be able to visualize it and actually use that to inform decisions as it relates to uh, new finish finish outs, uh, as well as how they maintain their operations uh, for the longevity of buildings and maintaining or retaining tenants as well. So we have a couple of guests here today. It's uh, pretty unique that we have uh, three guests. Uh, it's probably the most we've ever had on 3P Theory. So this is actually a unique episode. And what I'll do is I'll uh, first have each of you guys introduce yourselves, uh, and then we can jump right into the questions. I guess whoever feels the need to start first. <laughs> Just give a little bit of background about yourself and you know why you're excited to do what you do. Yeah, I can start. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks, Mike, for having us. I'm Serena Momen. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Senseware. And at Senseware, we are focused, we're a technology company, and we focus on getting real-time data, visibility from the physical environment. And we bring the real-time data that is needed at, at the time of need. In the last few months, we uh, have been focused a lot on bringing real-time data around indoor air quality. That's because um, of all of the things we're learning about COVID-19 and how it's transmitted and the fact that it's airborne transmitted. And we're bringing our solution to market to create a way for people to start to feel confident in indoor spaces that air quality is optimal and is kept safe as they're occupying these spaces. And so that's been a very exciting thing we've been working on uh, lately, and um, I'm happy to talk to you today about it as well. Awesome. Okay. So I'm Michelle Patelli. I am the head of retrofit finance for CounterPoint Sustainable Real Estate, which provides uh, PACE financing through the property tax mechanism for sustainability and resiliency improvements as well as regular energy um, finance and if for the um, regular behind the meter or um, utility scale infrastructure uh, energy finance. In my prior life, I'm a retired physician that worked at Albert Einstein and Georgetown hospitals and was uh, three years at the National Institutes of Health in the um, allergy and immunology section and critical care doing uh, bench research. So I have a large focus and I work in all commercial property sectors in sustainability finance, but I have a special uh, proclivity for the healthcare sector and laboratory and high tech facility spaces. Awesome. 
Uh, good afternoon. This is uh, Devesh Nirmal. I'm also with the CounterPoint uh, team that Michelle's a part of. I have a background in energy and sustainability work going way back even to my academic days. You know, feel we're in a very uh, pra pragmatic space in the, in the finance world, uh, trying to deal with the imperfections of our economy and driving more resilient and efficient, sustainable built environment. And so I would say that I work with governments and uh, NGOs uh, in the real estate space and uh, developers as well as owners to try to accelerate these, this sort of transformation that involves, as you recognized, you know, in resiliency, you have both shocks and stressors, right? So the idea that um, we've got the climate change as a, uh, pieces of stress and you have shocks like COVID, well, what you see is the building owners and managers will report out uh, the buildings that were had the capacity to handle uh, this, this shock because they were already tracking and, and trying to be ahead of the climate piece are actually were very well prepared, uh, whereas the properties that did not have that capacity built in are spending 30 to 40 percent more on energy, for example. So having those unified bundled strategies is very important. And the financing piece that Michelle mentioned is critical to making that bundling work economically in the kind of imperfect economy we have where we don't quite value um, natural capital and, and our environment in the way that uh, we probably should be. Thanks. Great. Great. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, on the end about with the almost reactiveness for some owners and managers trying to kind of remedy or at least pr provide confidence for those tenants that are coming back into the office and the workspaces around ventilation in particular, you know, there could be an en energy penalty for that. And so being able to recognize that and look at some of the opportunities, not only on the existing building side, but on the new construction side as well, because we're seeing that now on the architecture side that clients are starting to ask for that understanding protocols and things of that nature. And so it's really interesting to see how quickly the landscape has started to morph uh, just in the past, uh, you know, a few months or a few weeks. And so it's really important, I think, for those owners, owners and managers to understand what kind of tools that are available for them to maximize their potential for, from a performance standpoint. And to your point, you know, not to, uh, just to continue with that, the fact that you have a metric, which is around the, uh, air quality and, you know, certification, that metric is now affecting the demand for the space or the lease, you know, paradigm. And then the energy ties back that too as well. So. Awesome. Well, uh, what I'll do is uh, we'll, we'll first start off and kind of take a dive into to sense where so people can get an understanding of uh, the technology, some of the opportunities and things of that nature. So if you could, you know, tell us a little bit about the uh, IoT platform and what are some of the capabilities? And and really, you know, if you could describe maybe one of your most successful projects that you, you've had to date and some of, maybe some of those outcomes. Yes. So our technology was built on a modular architecture. And what that allowed us to do is very quickly bring to market IoT solutions uh, that are needed faster than anyone else. And um, um, enabled us to really be at uh, the forefront of a lot of um, new innovation. And when you're looking at smart buildings, smart cities, and things like that. So prior to COVID, we have applied this technology, this IT infrastructure to get uh, things and data related to energy and sustainability 
and building efficiency. So we would connect to meters, energy consuming equipment, and bring real time data and visibility around those, uh, those data sources. And we've also connected to a lot of the critical assets in buildings, such as cooling towers, chillers, boilers, rooftop units, and whatnot to also bring real-time visibility and improve operations of these uh, buildings and really change the way operators deal with issues to be more proactive because of that real-time data that we're getting. With COVID, we kind of, uh, you know, really showcase that innovation behind this, this uh, modular architecture and how fast we can bring solutions to market. So while we have... Before COVID, uh, release solutions around indoor air quality monitoring, where we uh, bring in real-time data around CO2 uh, um, data, particulate matter in the space, volatile organic compound or VOC, uh, temperature, humidity, CO, ozone, and and other things. Uh, When COVID hit, we wanted to really put together the exact real-time data that is needed to really help operators, uh, business owners open safely. And so we didn't want to just say, hey, we already have this indoor air quality system that or solution that we have used in the past, uh, and it's like one size fits all. And so we took a step back and We really studied the science and then correlated everything that we know about how COVID is transmitted, the primary mode of transmission, uh, which everything was pointing to airborne transmission. And we also studied what are the solutions that are being deployed today to remove the virus from the space effectively or minimize its viability and, and whatnot. And when we put all that together, we came up with a very, uh, very unique solution. But the, I, the, at the core of it and the value that we're bringing with you know, what we put together is that we know that the virus is invisible. All of these solutions that you're deploying are invisible. So how do we know what's working and, you know, really have that confidence to go into an indoor space or send our kids to school? And that's really what we're solving for. And that's why we really try to expand the data set that we are bringing the same time visibility from. So our indoor air quality solution is pretty unique in that it does have these basic measures that you would expect and when you're uh, monitoring indoor air quality. So it has CO2, particulate matter, volatile organic compound, temperature and humidity. We added ozone because there are a lot of measures that are uh, taken like UV lights that can generate ozone uh, in the space and some of the um, disinfectants that are used could do that. Uh, so my, we felt like monitoring ozone would be really uh, important now to add to the mix. We have just also integrated with an ion sensor. We're seeing a lot of measures around bio, bipolar or ionization. So you're creating positive and negative ions as a way to remove the virus or uh, decreases viability. How do you know that's working? So we added that sensor. 
And then the thing that we're very excited about is uh, the introduction of biosensors to the mix. So we have integrated with a bioaerosol sensor that can give you or can detect bioparticles, including viruses, but also bacteria, spores, and toxins in real time. And we are in the final testing stage with an integration with a COVID-specific uh, sensor. It's a pathogen sensor that can identify COVID in the air. And that's going to come later in the fall. Uh, so we're just continuously getting and connecting to all these uh, data that's important, again, to say, build that confidence and trust when you're deciding to go into indoor facilities. So yeah, that's been really exciting and it's been keeping us very busy. I can imagine. We've obviously been facing similar challenges in terms of what to implement, how to implement it on, on projects that we're designing, uh, even projects that you know may have been put on hold and now are back alive again. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny you mentioned, which we use this phrase a lot on the energy modeling side, you know, you can't manage what you what you don't measure. And so very similarly with indoor air quality, you know, quite often people will say, well, let's go ahead and just open up the windows and do that or add more uh, outside air. You know, while that could be a measure to implement, there's varying degrees of effectiveness, right? So when you think about the design of the building, especially if it's an existing building that was not intended to be um, naturally ventilated from a predominant standpoint, obviously this is kind of a supplemental you know, is it in the right direction for prevailing winds to be able to be conducive to that? All of the other things, in addition to urban areas, which I'm not sure if you guys have, have seen this or started to, to do any more research on it in urban areas, uh, it, it may be detrimental to open your windows uh, due to the air pollution uh, because it's just, you know, more congestion uh, there. Yeah. And so just understanding what that means is, is really important. It's interesting you mentioned urban areas because lately we've been getting a lot of requests from the western side of of the country because there's uh, you know the wildfires and the issue where there is a, a dual challenge is that a lot of the recommendation around uh, reducing the M- infection in indoor spaces is to open to increase ventilation bring more outside air but in areas like that where you have fires and you if you open the windows or bring more outside air you're bringing that pollution also inside so how do you know when and how much of that air you need to bring in and at what time and how do you balance between ventilation and then improving your filtration so that the bo- both strategies work really well in an environment like that. Without data, you just really, uh, the human mind cannot, you know, really decipher that and figure, figure it out. And yeah, that's, you know, where we're pretty excited to be able to help with these types of, types of situations. This actually is a great kind of segue into my next question, which I can have you start off and then Michelle, you can probably fo- uh, follow up on it. You know, with technology like this, being able to kind of better manage the data and, and see see the impacts uh, beyond obviously energy, water, which historically, you know, some of that has been available to facility managers and operators, but it hasn't really been as transparent to tenants and occupants and things of that nature. 
So this is going to be, become an emerging trend because that's going to start to build more trust with the occupants. And as new tenants, new companies start to look for new office spaces uh, in existing buildings, that's going to be probably something that they want to, to see or value in the building. Um, has there been any challenges with that transparency of information that you all have seen with some of the clients that you work with? And so leading into that from or into the next part with Michelle, you know, for Michelle, how have you seen this add to the building valuation and in terms of a financing standpoint, uh, what kind of leverage do owners or operators have? So that's kind of a, you know, how do improvements and improve collateral value is, is always tough when it comes to any sustainability measure or anything like that. I, I think it has, um, I think within the last two years, it has become more commonplace and it is definitely within the last six months, we're seeing it definitely uh, recognized as um, if in office buildings, we are in the process of financing a building automation system upgrade in Maryland for a um, regular office park office building. And the tenants are asking for measures for for this so whether it contributes to value directly in an appraised value or in increased rent or you know retaining tenants there's clearly a demand and a need for this kind of technology it sounds like you're about to say something um yeah no i was just gonna say that we have two two types of clients in terms of valuing visibility, ones that really want the data to optimize operation creates, it's just for their operators to create a safer environment, more even energy efficient and and whatnot, and not necessarily open to making that data available to their tenants, just because there is some worry about opening up a can of worms, like if it's not really great, what would that mean? Would the tenants be unhappy uh, and things like that? We've seen something like this in one school where they were saying, we cannot give this data to parents. We will just (laughs) get phone calls all the time. Why is this, you know, CO2 levels too high? So we got some of it, but I would say that for the most part, Everyone is, especially with air quality, really genuinely want to be safe. And and that's what they care about, be healthy and safe in, in indoor spaces. And so we're seeing more openness to visibility, to help people feel safe, to know how to create and optimize the safety of the environment. And um, I would say that that's that was nice to see, and it's really the majority of of our clients are more of that mindset. One of the the things you mentioned before on sustainability is trying to, I guess, craft the the narrative around some of these things and trying to convey that to either new tenants or. <laughs> trying to make the ask for maybe clients that may be hesitant or unsure whether or not this will actually, you know, even pan out in terms of the effectiveness. What, what have you seen in, in, on that front in terms of, you know, developing that and creating kind of a, a cohesive or holistic perspective? 
So I think uh, what I've seen in my exposure to just during the COVID period, I know of one office building owner who was already looking to get well certified for his shared working space environment. And because of that need to try to market it as a, you know, as a healthy, you know, livable space, which he was thinking about before COVID, they realized they were way behind on their HVAC. They did not have enough ventilation, right? So they're already on a path to get more ventilation and they know they have to make these retrofits. And then they, uh, you know, so I think the connection, the different metrics are just becoming more apparent now in this, uh, and, and they all tie back to some financial, as Michelle was saying, uh, you know, on the tenant and the leasing side. In other situations, I think I've seen very high performing buildings, like somebody worked in Chicago, where they've done everything for the engineers and the property manager. You know, they've got a lead certified, their energy star in the 90 plus. But they, the tenant engagement piece was a piece that, that was the final frontier. And one thing they did was they said, well, can we anonymously look at all of our tenant floors and give them an EUI uh, relative to each other by property to show, hey, you're the blue line, you're the green line. And as tenants, you should know that within this building, you're all consuming at different levels. Because most of these tenants are paying their electric bill through an accounting department sitting in another city because they're, they're national law firms or whatever or large or might be. So I think there's a couple of connecting points that need to come together better. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, this idea of the, the return on investment. So it's, it's how you take care of that upfront payback threshold, which tends to be very conservative on measures. And the finance can help get that uh, taken care of, but also then that if you can count your other values, your opportunity cost, improvement in productivity, as well as your basic energy savings as part of that equation going forward, looking at the NOI evaluation. Um, I think we just need to start thinking broader and start to um, account for all those pieces. Yeah, on the, on that note, you know, at least from some of the research that you guys have done with Senseware around capturing some of the, the ROI aspects, I guess, what are some of the challenges that you all see or even opportunities within that within that particular realm because you know with productivity and, and things of nature and obviously there could even be some unforeseen circumstances that could be positive as well for for projects how have owners or or uh, buildings been able to try and capture that information in a in a way that's you know satisfying to them to say okay well implementing that measure did make sense because we've been able to achieve x or is it still too early to really tell and you just need more data points and time to, to, to capture that? Interestingly, when it comes to indoor air quality, we've never been asked to provide any evidence related to ROI. And at the same time, we don't see our customers getting and installing IQ because of uh, monetary ROI that you ROI that you see, I think there is just a the science that shows very clearly extensive science around and research around how CO two levels can affect your cognitive health, and you know, and they're coming at it from that and just showing that a good corporate responsibility, that they really care about the health and wellness of, of people. And it's more of an, an HR maybe initiative to 
to have something like that so to um, increase people's satisfaction and motivation to be you know working for this company and and, and whatnot and it's it's mostly that that's driving uh, installation of um, indoor air quality specifically for office uh, spaces um, schools as well. Uh, California, I don't know if you know, but they just passed a bill, AB 841, which basically is mandating that schools install CO2 uh, monitors and improve ventilation as well. And that's basically because of the science around CO2 and that's it. You just have to do it. It's just enough to uh, to decide to implement something like that. I think we would be able, the industry would be able to generate ROI uh, numbers around IQ. We just need more to be installed. And I and and the thing about COVID is that it's accelerating the implementation adoption of indoor air quality monitoring in buildings, and it's making every single building uh, think of of it. And so maybe we'll be able to see more uh, results and research around that uh, sooner than we thought. Awesome, awesome. So. One of the things that uh, comes to mind when we, and you mentioned this earlier, um, uh, in terms of the potential penalty from an energy standpoint that could that could happen, uh, especially if, if gone unchecked, uh, where they're not monitoring this and they're just implementing a, a strategy. One of my questions to Michelle would be, with the industry having, you know, whether it's a, a steady uptake or aggressive uptake on some of these IQ strategies, to minimize COVID transmission and obviously be able to have better indoor air quality. Are we going to start to see that owners and operators with that increased cost to operate a building, just take that as is, or is that going to be a concern for, you know, say if I'm a developer or or a building owner and I'm about to look for a new building to buy or purchase uh, and I'm it's A and B. Is that a real, a real variable that people are looking at right now or? It absolutely is. And and one we are sort of in a catbird seat that we can sign a seat across all commercial properties and all in the construction industry, what people are thinking and doing because we do, you know, we're seeing it all. So the the renewable space has seen my the solar contractors we work with have have definitely been fielding calls from owners that are exploring renewables for the first time one because they're looking for resiliency with the grid you know with the increased um natural disasters that have happened since 2017 and all but they're driven by they they know they're going to have increased energy costs and the solar contractors are definitely seeing more interest and more people that are looking for the renewables which is very it is created a lot of interest because the response back is that the ITC credit is going down and that they've got to get started by December. So that there's been a flurry of activity in that space that has been very dramatic during COVID. As far as implementation of measures, we finance, we have a project we were going to close. It closed the first week in May. So it was, we were it was a six-month development of the project. This was a retrofit of a of a of a facility, mostly HVAC and and roofing, 
project for $42 million. And as we got into the last three weeks of closing, um, $1.8 million of COVID disinfecting technologies got thrown into the budget, last minute thrown in. And as well as there's there was an adjustment of projects in those last weeks between, uh, we have to approve each energy conservation measure. So we had a full list. And then next thing I knew, some of the the chillers and the air handler units all of a sudden were being replaced and they were switching out projects, you know, in the $42 million budget. And there was, it was very last minute, obviously, because we closed the first week in May, but there was, I, I would say out of the 42 million, there was a good shift of maybe the 1.8 that was directed right for COVID related measures. And then maybe another 5 million was directed into increasing ventilation at the last minute by the facility manager. Wow. Okay. And, and with that, uh, if you could expand on, I guess, some of the, I guess, requirements or what should designers, whether it's from an MEP standpoint or architectural standpoint, be looking at or focused on when they're trying to, uh, I guess, apply for financing underneath this umbrella, uh, which is kind of unique. Uh, as right. Just looking at energy here and just looking. Oh, at- so it's, it's available in 36 states and in every state, energy efficiency and renewable measures qualify. There are a couple states that ask you to quantify to make sure that the utility savings are greater than the investment. For the most part, that doesn't apply. And really, if it uses electricity or generates electricity, it's going to be eligible. And in some states, that can be a kilowatt by by state law. This is not an engineering definition of energy efficiency, it's a legal definition, and it's really meant to incentivize owners to decrease the demand on the grid. So any energy efficiency, anything uses energy, and that's including new construction, that new construction is. Where it starts getting gray is all what I would call the um, resiliency and social benefit measures, and that's very state dependent. So in New York State, for example, uh, they allow anything with social benefit is PACE eligible. So, you know, I have a project in a hospital. I was like, well, h- how do you quantify that? Because the entire facility has social benefit. So NYSERDA is looking through that and trying to come up with some kind of guidelines and reasonableness standard, but it, it is exceedingly broad, obviously. In Rhode Island, which is, um, they allow anything with with environmental safety or a hazard condition, which is, again, resiliency. So again, these are very, very broad definition. The industry started off being PACE for just clean energy within the, we started financing seismic retrofits in 2015 in San Francisco. That was what I think the, that with wind resistant improvements in Florida, that's the big, which was maybe 13 or 14 that's the beginning of resiliency, and there has been a massive trend towards including resiliency and social benefit in PACE throughout with a lot of legislation either in committee or pending that will include resiliency measures and so all these social benefit measures as being eligible for PACE. Okay. No, I, I, that resilience and social uh, piece, I didn't know about it all, so I'm definitely going to do some more research on that. Um, well, every I think state it's something that 
you know, a lot of projects could take advantage of that they could already be, be doing on the project and just not capitalizing on. Every state interprets it differently according to the local needs. So, but it is, it's very broad. Washington, D.C. allows wildlife pathways. That was considered, this is private capital that's funding improvements for the public good. So it just depends how the local legislation interprets that and what their needs are. It is very divergent across the nation. And surprising, uh, parking structures are eligible in Utah. In Utah, you know, it's, it's very divergent. You know, that's a good point because uh, we actually had a conversation on this from a resiliency standpoint uh, and being able to design the parking garage to be retrofitted in the future for office. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit more expensive up front, uh, but trying to, to justify that, create the value around it. And um, is, is that kind of what you're talking about? or is Well, this, I think, was a land use okay. um trying to make this. I, I think what you're talking about is the autonomous cars that we're not going to need parking garages anymore. So we better make them be able to be retrofit without all the ramps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. I know our listeners are definitely going to get some value out of that. Cause I, I know that's going to open up a whole new world of opportunities for, for projects that are in design now. And on that same point, is there a uh, kind of a point of no return when it comes to a project that's already in design uh, that it's too late to kind of pursue some of some of these opportunities from a financing standpoint? Because uh, I know it varies from project to project on whether or not they already come to the table with financing or if they're still seeking it. Maybe it's a public-private partnership kind of thing. Most states allow retroactive financing of projects that are completed. It varies, again, the stringent are 12 months, but generally uh, three back three years can be retroactively financed if it meets all the other guidelines for what is a PACE eligible improvement. Wow, okay. The $42 million project that we did on, on this facility, they were in, this was a hospital and they were in the midst of an emergency department uh, renovation and the facility managers came because they didn't have any money for their regular maintenance. So they were looking for something because the hospital had this huge CapEx expenditure and they were looking at some deferred, at some HVAC that they needed to do. Well, the the it ended up in that in that particular project that when we got done, the the C suite was so happy that twenty three million dollars of the forty two was first for completed work, which freed up capital for them to do more projects because it pulled equity out of out of their, that they had already expended. Thirteen million was for in-flight projects that they had budgeted their capital expenditure that the the counting office did not find financing for. So that was that was thirty-six million dollars of kind of found money. The facility managers actually got more projects approved by their by their CFO than they could do. And they were like, "We're five guys. We can't. We wanted more projects. Stop." So the financing was basically $7 million for what they can do in the next year, but they got full approval for another $20 million that the facility managers decided to, we're going to close it as a phase two once they got done this first this first bid. So PACE is very flexible, and it certainly incentivized this facility to upgrade much more than had been originally planned. That's nice. I'm happy to hear, hear stories like that. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, just a segue from, uh, you know, when you look at, uh, you can go back a couple of years in most states, as Michelle said, but when you're in the process of actually implementing a project and you have an owner that may be intrigued by pace, not just because, or maybe separate from the energy side of it, because they see it as another capital source. What we see happen is they may decide we'd rather use other form of debt. And when you get to the construction budget, and you take a look at the line items and they have, let's say, concrete block, for example. Well, if we tell them to specify and make that uh, insulated concrete block, then we can cover that line item, which tends to be a big line item in a, in a budget. So there's a market transformation that happens at that level, too. As you can imagine, if you can get that many projects to switch from that basic concrete block to an insulated block, what that does for the built environment just on that one. So plenty of opportunity for, for changes and, and whatnot. You know, we're governed by some limits and, and pace in terms of how much pace can be on project. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. I know we're wrapping up here and uh, I just want to make sure I, I did not miss anything that you guys wanted to, to, to bring up. Uh, I know that this is a, a pretty important topic and there's a, a ton of different ways that we can go with it in terms of opportunities for clients and tenants. But, you know, one of the things that uh, it's pretty neat is just that, you know, there's obviously more and more research being com- completed on this. And so we're, we're all still in that learning process as well. And as we, we start to connect, collect more data, but one of the things that I, I would recommend is that if each of you could just um, let us know how our listeners could be able to reach out to you or learn more about what uh, your company does um, just so we have it here and, um, and then we'll wrap it up. We can be reached for more information through our website. So senseware.co and then directly, if anyone wants to reach out to me, my email is my first name, Serene, at senseware.co. And we're at Counterpoint, S-R-E, C-O-U-N-T-E-R-P-O-I-N-T-E. S-R-E stands for sustainablerealestate.com. And it's either MLP or inquiry at Counterpoint, S-R-E, or and, um, Devesh, you can give your your contact info because you're at Counterpoint Energy Solutions. Sure thing. Yeah. So any questions on any of the subjects or how this works, happy to answer those. It's Devesh Nirmal. It's D-N-I-R-M-U-L. And as Michelle mentioned, with an E at the end. And then another E-S. It's Counterpoint E-E-S or CounterpointEnergySolutions.com. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you all again for joining us for the episode. I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of uh, kind of our conversations and we're definitely going to provide them with some of the resources that we mentioned as a part of our assets. And so I know there's going to be a lot more coming out of this and look forward to uh, reaching out to you all again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. much. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to 3P Theory with Mike Brown. If you like our show and want to know more, check out 3ptheory.com or please leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Join us next time for more insightful knowledge on high-performance building design.